Let's move ahead to the 20th century. By then, our notions of privacy had expanded far beyond privies and personal space. If you worked in the U.S. military or civil service, your personal life has not always been a private matter. And that was certainly true during the Red Scare of the 1950s. Wisconsin Senator Joseph McCarthy claimed to have a list of over 200 known communists working at the State Department. A subsequent investigation found no card-carrying communists at state, but in the course of those hearings, officials at the State Department revealed that they'd been conducting their own investigations of their staff, and they'd already forced out a number of employees deemed national security risks. Among those fired were 91 homosexuals, to use the language of the day. This is historian David Johnson. The official position of the government was that homosexuals could be blackmailed by communists into giving up government secrets. Johnson says that many elected officials were convinced the federal government was overrun by so-called sexual perverts. There are congressional investigations that are held in the summer of 1950 on the employment of homosexuals and other sex perverts in the government. Johnson says that during the Cold War, homosexuals were considered every bit as dangerous as communists. Both had their own unique cultural codes, their own literature, their own secret meeting places. In fact, many Americans viewed closeted gay bureaucrats as more dangerous than communists. And then in 1953, Eisenhower becomes president. He signs an executive order, which specifically uh, uses the term sexual perversion as a grounds for dismissal. What began as a campaign to target so-called subversives in the government was soon codified into legal discrimination. Federal security agents confronted employees and servicemen with evidence of their sexual orientation and threatened them unless they offered more names. Many of those who cooperated still lost their jobs. This period is now known as the Lavender Scare. In recent years, former investigators and employees have begun to speak out about their experiences. Here are a few of those voices. Throughout my whole career, you know, we were very much concerned with homosexuals in government. We spent a good part of our time identifying homosexuals. We looked at every part of the person's life. It was an extensive investigation, just like a police department would investigate murders, this type of thing. They had to put little pieces together. This is what we did. And we had, we had people in our organization that were good at that sort of thing. In front of a skilled questioner, homosexuals will very easily admit that they were the homosexuals because of the guilt that they felt. And then after a while, they feel like, well, uh, they're going to keep after me until you're not telling this sort of thing. You know, that's how they feel about it. Most of the time, they would resign on the spot. Others would not resign. Uh, so we had to bring removal charges against it. Two uh, civil service investigators came in and... Uh, they said, uh, we have information which leads us to believe you are homosexual. Do you have any comment? I said, what's the information? They said, we can't tell you. I said, well, then I have no answers. Uh, I said, in any case, it's utterly irrelevant to any valid business uh, of the government, so I'm not going to answer anyhow. And that ended the interview in almost uh, about as much time as it took me to say this just now. Around midnight, there was a knock on the door. We looked out and it was obvious they were police. Uh, somebody must have tipped them off that there was a 
party where gay people were going to be. And they came in and uh, said, are there any servicemen here? And I and several others stood up. They questioned me about where I stayed when I was off base and so forth. And I told them, my friend Al, they said, oh yeah, we know Al, he's told us about you and him. So then I uh, freely admitted that I was gay to him and uh, that we were having a relationship. And then they said, uh, we also want five names of other people you know. I think today I might have refused to give any names and see what would happen to me. But I was sort of a scared kid then. I felt like I had to do what I did because they were, they were the authority figure, so I did what they wanted. The level of fear and hysteria and oppression that occurred in the 50s with the Lavender Scare was really unprecedented. And we've come to see that now almost as, as normal, when in fact it was a particular cultural moment whose effects have lingered for a very long time. That was David Johnson, a historian at the University of South Florida and author of The Lavender Scare, the Cold War persecution of gays and lesbians in the federal government. We also heard the voices of Bartley A. Fugler, Frank Kameny, and Bob Cantillion. Special thanks to filmmaker Joshua Howard. You can hear many of those voices in his documentary, The Lavender Scare. A quick postscript. While the government hunted down gay and lesbian federal workers most aggressively in the 1950s, these policies remained on the books until the late 20th century. <laughs>